Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. Well, I'm Mason S., and I'm here with my co-host, OTK. Yeah, yeah. We are back for another episode on tradition number four. And tonight we got a very special guest, Mr. Shannon H. How you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm blessed, buddy, blessed. Shannon, if you want to, you start with your clean date and uh, give your home group a shout out. All right, so I got clean August 11th, 2003. I just picked up 20 years in August. My home group, survival group, the longest continuously meeting meeting in Alabama, Northwest Florida region. Oh, and they might have something to say about that, but they're not here tonight. <laughs> they just had a celebration. What was it? 45 years, 44, 45, something like that. 40. 46 yesterday 40 oh yeah 46 man time flies um yep 46 years they had their celebration yesterday and had a little event uh i actually played in their little golf tournament and one thing uh that's been the trend in that is the old tennessee boys have been taking it to the alabama and mississippi boys in the golf and it has nothing to do with me i know that <laughs> me either yeah but anyways um so before we get into tradition four man we want to let everybody get to know you a little bit uh you want to kind of tell us what life looked like before and what happened and what it's like now all right so um in uh October of 2002, I started having a lot of run-ins with the criminal justice system here in North Alabama. And, uh, you know, they just, the police just kept following me around. I mean, you know, it was like every time I did something, uh, they were right around the corner. And, uh, you know, I got a couple of DUIs back to back. And then I, I ended up, what ended up saving my life is God sent me an angel. And I don't know about y'all's angels, but my angel came with blue lights on. And uh, I got a DUI February 14th, 2003. And, you know, my life was, I had been living to use and using to live for so many years. I had bought into the tired old light talks about in our literature that, uh, once an addict, always an addict. You know, I f- truly felt that God had put me on earth to be a bad example. I was the guy that everybody in my little hometown could point to and said, you know, don't do drugs because you'll turn out like Shannon. And, uh, you know, I lived that. I, I'm in misery, you know. Uh, I hated myself. I hated everybody around me, you know, that that lived in self-pity of, you know, how did I get here? And, uh, you know, when that I got the the last DUI, 
I remember it was raining, and we did the felony stop, you know, throw your hands up in the air back to the sound of my voice. And uh, But when he uh, got me in the car, I had a, a officer ask me something I'd never had an officer ask me. You know, he said, do you have a problem? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, and uh, that was all he said. So when we got court um instead of being prosecuted for felony dui the officer had it worked out where i got prosecuted for a misdemeanor and uh but there was a lot of contingencies to that i was court ordered not to drive a vehicle for a year and that'll uh come into play in just a second uh and you know i was court ordered into an outpatient treatment program and uh you know, at that point in my life, I had just enough self-honesty to, uh, on August the 10th, 2003, I'd been out with a friend. I left what I had bought earlier in the truck with him, and I said, look, I've got to start this. And, you know, for me, it was a school. I didn't know it was treatment. I said, I got to start this DUI school tomorrow, and they're going to be testing me. So, uh, man, I can't be hanging out with y'all. And uh, I'm pretty mid. The most powerful line that I said during that period of time was I said, I'm pretty miserable, man. I'm going to try what they say. And, uh, you know, that was August the 10th, 2003. And I haven't found it necessary to use since. My claim date's August the 11th. And, uh, you know, I, I started going to meetings. What I got out of outpatient treatment was. My counselor, you know, it was a different world back then. NA wasn't, you know, survival group still has kind of a rough reputation, but uh, it had a real rough reputation back then. And uh, my counselor did me a favor, and I didn't even know it at the time. You know, when I showed him my, first, my white key tag, and then I was still in treatment for 30-day key tag, he said, you know people can't stay clean at Narcotics Anonymous that you'll never stay clean at Narcotics Anonymous. And, you know, if you ever want an addict to do something, just tell them they fucking can't. And, uh, you know, I dug in. I got a sponsor early. Um, you know, but when I first got to the rooms, I lived about 20 miles from the meetings. And, uh, you know, I was court ordered not to drive a vehicle and I had 366 day sentence hanging over my head. So, you know, I got a phone list at that first meeting and, uh, you know, it took me a couple of days of carrying that list around and carrying the phone around. And, and I finally started calling and asking people for a ride and man, you know, people got lives and they're busy and, and, you know, I didn't get a ride every night, but there was a lot of people drove and that's 80 miles. You know, 20 miles from Florence to get me, 20 miles back to the meeting, 20 miles, you know, it's 80 miles. And there were people that did that for me. And uh, what that, uh, that allowed me to do is realize that this fellowship, people would do, uh, would, uh, you know, they would try to help me if I would try to help myself. And, uh, you know, I got to have a lot of phone conversations. There was nights that people couldn't come get me, but they would talk to me for an hour. And, you know, six months, I moved on into uh, to Florence where I could walk to a meeting and uh, had to get a ride to work. 
and it was kind of scary, but, uh, you know, I never missed a day of work because I didn't have a ride. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, this fellowship's just done so much for me. And uh, I know I'm not supposed to be telling my whole story, but that's just a big part of my story. And, uh, you know, the fellowship was a lot different back then. We were a little, a little harder. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I just know it was different. You know, uh, you know, somebody with, an old timer had 15 years when I got clean and today I'm, uh, have 20 and I walk in a meeting. I'm very rarely the person there with the most clean time. So, you know, this fellowship's grown, it's exploded, you know, and back then it wasn't socially acceptable to be a recovering addict where it, it, it's gotten more. And I, I think that's a big deal. You know, I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts where y'all kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, that that well, I don't want to say looked up to, but we're kind of respected in the community today. And uh, that's a big deal. And, and the stigma, you know, our book talks about the last to be lost is the stigma of being an addict. And, and I think it's still there, but it's not as strong as it was at one time. You know, uh, even my mother, when I first got clean, she did not want me to say that I was an addict. And, and today, you know, she asked me, when was the last time I've been to a meeting? When was the last time I called Ryan, my sponsor? You know, so I, I don't know. It, it's been a, uh, a heck of a ride. I don't know if I actually answered what you were uh, asking, but that's what I had. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I want to ask you is like, what is some of the, um, over the last 20 years, you know, what's been some of the, the challenges and some of the tough times that you've had to go through and things that you persevered through to, to stay clean? Mm. Well, uh, you know, when I had three years clean, I didn't follow all the suggestions and I got in a relationship with somebody that was straight out of treatment and, uh, we got engaged. The house I'm sitting in now, I bought, and she actually left me for somebody, another member of the fellowship that I'd actually been trying to help. I wasn't his sponsor, but I had been trying to help him. And, uh, you know, that I had wrapped my whole persona. I had gotten a, a, a higher power that, uh, that was earthly. You know, I, I had wrapped my whole personality in that relationship and uh man it took the wind out of my sails you know uh it took a lot of work and uh to get through that and, and a lot of long nights and the fellowship showed up and people talked to me and uh you know that was i've kind of my sponsor last and talks about all the stuff i've been through uh you know i've uh You know, personally, that I had custody of uh, of some children for a while. And, uh, you know, they were my stepdaughter, my daughter, however. I, I call her my daughter because I don't believe in the stepkid thing. And, uh, you know, that was her being in active addiction 
for so many years, that was something that was a challenge. And, and I, I did not handle that. I did the best I could at the time, but there's a lot of things looking back that I wish I'd done different, but you know, uh, that's, uh, accepting that I was powerless over my disease was relatively easy, but accepting I was powerless over somebody else's disease, somebody that I truly loved, you know, I struggled with that for a long time. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, August of 2020, I was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma, and uh, on my <clears throat> on my first step work, <clears throat> uh, the two reservations I had was if I ever had to bury one of my parents, or if I ever got diagnosed with cancer, I didn't know if I could stay clean, and. Uh, you know, I buried my father in, in uh, 2018. I was there when he took his last breath. And, you know, that was all in the period I had the kids and wasn't able to make it to a lot of meetings. They needed a lot of my attention. And uh, I had another breakup of a relationship in that period of time. And 2018, 2019, 2020 were rough, and, and I I didn't make as many meetings as I need to, but I needed to. But I stayed keyed in with my sponsor. I talked to other addicts, and man, I lived with this literature. You know, the basic text just saved my life so many times. But you know, when I got diagnosed with cancer, when I got the diagnosis, my sponsor was in the room with me. And, um, you know, the fellowship walked me through that. You know, I, I walked across the parking lot at the doctor's office and I was like, now, God, what, what are we going to do now? You know, uh, my stepdaughter at the time had a few months clean, six or so, but I didn't, I didn't have a lot of faith in that at that time because we'd been down that road before but I, I was just like my mind went to you know what what are we going to do and uh you know and i'm going to be a hundred percent honest um you know for just a split second the disease kicked in because that thing don't ever go away. And uh, I was like, you know, this going to go get me a fifth and an eight ball. If I'm leaving it, I'm going to leave in a blaze of fucking glory. That was what my mind went to. And, you know, before I left the parking lot, Ryan had already left. I picked up the phone, called him. I confessed those talked to him about those feelings and he said, well, you know, you're not going to do that or you wouldn't have called me. And I said, I know. And, uh, you know, I really stayed plugged in with him. You know, one thing this program's taught me is how to follow directions. And, uh, you know, I went through chemo and radiation and, and people in the fellowship showed up for me. You know, I chose to, I say I chose, 
this happened in the middle of a pandemic, so I sure couldn't get to meetings with my immune system beat up. And, uh, you know, I had my phone rang on a regular basis. I talked to a lot of addicts. You know, I had people come visit. Uh, you know, we sat in the yard and and talked because, you know, my immune system was so bad. And uh, I can talk about how painful that is, but a practical application of the spiritual principles of this program got me through chemo and radiation because I had acceptance I was going to feel bad. And y'all told me it didn't matter how I felt. I just need to suit up and show up for my life and put one foot in front of the other, and it was going to be okay. And that's what I did. And and at the end of that, it was one of the greatest things that has ever happened to me because I got stripped down to it was me and God. And uh the program of Narcotics Anonymous. And behind that, I wake up today with a sense of gratitude. I mean, yes, I'm cancer-free today, but even before that, man, I've got to live an amazing life. My life had shrunk down in active addiction to a room in the back of the dope house with a mattress on the floor and a sheet thrown over a box for an end table. And I only left that room to go get more. And I got to live to that point, to the point I was diagnosed with cancer, 17 years clean and met people all over the country and all over the world because of this program. And I had gotten to live so free. I went Every day of my life, the first thing that popped into my head for 15 or 16 years of my life is what have I got to do to get what I need to get through the day to the freedom of God guide me through this day and help me be of service to somebody else. And that is, I had taken it for granted. That and, and it just came so clear during that period of time that this, what I have each and every day is a gift, and I just need to make the best of the gifts that I'm given on each day. And I don't have bad days anymore. Now, y'all know me, and they're around me fairly regularly. Y'all know I can get a little pissy, but you know, I don't have a bad day. I don't have a bad day. It, I'm clean today. I woke up this morning without the desire to use. I went fishing, got sunburned as crap and couldn't catch no fish. And uh, now I'm doing a podcast with folks I love. So, you know, I'm a blessed man. And one, uh, one thing I want to want to ask you is you talked about having those reservations and then eventually they came to pass, but talks about in our literature the freedom that comes with letting go of those reservations do you feel like now that you're on the other side of them that you freer that you may be freer than you've ever been yes i do and, and i think those reservations so i had made several trips through the steps and i had worked really hard in my recovery for a lot of years and uh 
at times I think this program works for you. Were those still reservations? Yes. But I had put in the work for so long that the program kind of took over. I called my sponsor, you know. I played that tape out of, yeah, you know, how, how well is this going to work if you go get hot loaded? And what is it going to solve? There's nothing can happen in my life that using is going to make any better. But yes, on the other side of that and giving up those things, yes, there's a lot of freedom. And I think that's a lot of the freedom that I was just talking to you about. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of people, you know, they look at these things that are tra tragedies within our life and as bad as they are, a lot of times we find ourselves becoming better people on the other side of them. As long as we make that right choice, you know, it, it, those things usually lead us to a, a place where we got to make a decision. And like you said, being so repetitive with doing the next right thing, um, regardless of how you were thinking, you still kind of took that action. And I think that's a testament to what the program is, you know, that and tragedy, huh? The tragedy that he talks about yeah. <laughs> would be those angels with blue lights with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was talking about. Yeah. No doubt. No I doubt. mean, my God's got a sense of humor, man. You yeah. know, Carl. well, he can make me laugh a little better than that. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I, when I was about 22 or 23 years old before my disease, it was rolling hard. Don't get me wrong, but it ain't completely taken over my life. I was laying in a bunk in Ardmore, Tennessee at an ambulance service. And, uh, I had a dream that I had cirrhosis of the lip and I said a prayer, you know, God, if you think I've got a problem with alcohol and drugs, because at the time, I didn't realize they were the drugs or drugs or drugs for me. Um, would you let me know? Well, three days later, I worked off and, and I, I went out to the bar. And on the way home, I got a DUI and got court ordered into uh, uh You know, I had four DUI classes and all of that, but I got some exposure to a 12-step fellowship. I went to some AA meetings and decided it would be okay for a guy like me to snort cocaine. I had a problem with alcohol. And then I got a little bound up with that, and I went to, I went to one NA meeting when I was 22 or 23 years old. I picked up a white key tag and bought a six pack on the way home. That abstinence thing hadn't quite registered yet, you know, and I went back out for almost 11 years and, uh, you know, so the moral to that story is be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. You know, God answers prayers and God gave me a jumping off point at that point in time. And, uh, you know, my choice was to try to fix, manage, and control because I could use successfully, and I earned myself 11 more years of misery, and it got really bad. Yeah. I found it easier just not to believe in God because when I'd ask for those signs and get them, I'd just say, well, that can't be God. <laughs> there ain't no God. Oh, that's tragedy. Yeah. That's just that's <laughs> bad luck. Bad luck. But next time, by God, 
we're gonna get through it. Man, it's amazing. The police picked on me for ten or eleven years. I, every time I looked around, there was somebody standing around the corner. I got arrested twice in the same twenty-four hour period, Mason. I got a public intoxication, and when the guy dropped me off at one o'clock in the afternoon, and the cop dropped me off to jail, said you're only going to stay for six hours. If I see you out again tonight, I'm going to put your ass back in jail. And he wasn't joking. Uh, he was dead serious. I was out of jail about 48 minutes and he pulled up and I was standing in a parking lot drinking a beer and I went back to jail. So yeah, I was, uh, I'm one of those addicts. It was straight out of the chute. The first time I used any mood changing, mind altering substance, it was off to the races. You know, I firmly believe I was an addict. At 15. Everything I put into my system, I wanted my drug of choice was yours or yeah. more, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing and giving us a getting us a little taste of who Shannon is. Uh maybe at a later time we'll bring you on here and tell the full story. Uh but let's roll on into the uh topic today. Trav, if this is your part, buddy. Oh, okay. Tradition four says that each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or NA as a whole. All right. So tradition Boy, four. What you got for us on this? This? Is, this is a big one. It really is. Like you, you look back and, well, I'll let you tell it, Shannon. Well, I, I mean, that was when, when Mason talked to me about a week ago and, and, you know, he said the topic was going to be tradition four. I was like, holy shit. And, uh, you know, because, and, and I've done some reading. Hey, I even went back to the um, first edition, and we're not going to get into all the drama with the. <laughs> well, that's uh, what I was wanting you to do. Yeah, that's what oh, we're here for. No. Yeah, I can't no. do it justice. There's a whole lot of people that lived it. I wasn't clean yet. You know, they were, they were just dusted my seat off and getting it ready when all the basic tech stuff was going on. I was hitting my stride while they was writing this book. Yeah. Um, you know, well, but, we still uh, got five more episodes before we actually touch the other one. So, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the first thing that goes through my mind, and, and I, I did read, I, I read in the Living Clean, I've read in the basic text, I've read in the How and Why, and, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at several things over the last week, but what my mind keeps going back to is, you know, each group can kind of do it their own way as long as they're following these traditions. And, uh, there used to be a saying when I first got clean that there's a wrench to fit every nut in Narcotics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, early on when I would do some asphalt recovery, I would go to, I, there was a guy named Jimmy J that would load me up my first year clean, and we would go all over the state of Alabama. We've made as high as four meetings in a day. But I would sit down in those meetings and they didn't open them exactly like my home group and they didn't close them exactly like my home group. And they were doing that shit wrong, you know. But 
the four traditions says that as long as they're following the you know the rest of the traditions then and and you know that's what those people are comfortable with that i'm you know i'm just a visitor there and and i can't um you know one person can't tell these people what to do you know and uh, the fellowship world services or whoever can't tell people how to run their meetings and uh you know in most towns a lot of towns now there's uh more than one meeting and there's more than one meeting for a reason and you know get in where you fit in yeah now we got some experience with tradition force yeah uh come on they used to be basically the only tradition that our home group had wasn't it was tradition force <laughs> in a well, sense well to you got to cut some of it off there a little bit yeah you know? it's like well each sense, group should be autonomous and then that's it that's yeah where it stops yeah. <laughs> shannon added in the part a minute ago about as long as it doesn't interfere with the other traditions well we didn't read that far we just seen a each group is autonomous and we do whatever the hell we want to do here yeah yeah um but you know to your point even giving groups freedom to do what they want and uh even when a group maybe even violates the other traditions, one or two things is going to happen. It's either going to, well, it's just like us. When we refuse to practice spiritual principles, it's going to lead us to a choice. It's either we're going to keep on going the way that we're going. And then we're going to drive to run this meeting into the ground to where we're going to start three other meetings with a bunch of, cause all we need is three coffee pots and three, sets of resentments and we had plenty of them or we're going to have to take a look at ourselves and how we conduct business and what is our primary purpose and what are we doing to fulfill it are we worried more about how we feel and what we want to do are we are we taking are we just eliminate tradition one altogether and saying to hell with the rest of na and um you know I'm grateful for the time that we went through that because what it did is it brought about a more rigorous application of those traditions and spiritual principles in our home group. And, you know, anybody that's been there can tell you that it's just changed tremendously over that time. Well, you know, and, and something that, that, that I try to apply on a regular basis anytime I'm inventorying any situation is if it's not spiritual, it's not going to last. And and, yeah. and is are my decisions and you know the decision the way I'm voting in my home group is it based in spirituality or is it based in personality? And uh, you know sometimes it's really hard to to step back and make the spiritual decision and do the right thing for the right reasons and. Uh, you know, that's we've had a few instances and in, uh, that survival group over the years, you know, uh, of, of things that, that we weren't necessarily honoring the traditions. I, th I think personally, people who hear this are probably going to get mad at me. I think we're in a, in a little situation now with my home group with, uh, you know, our primary purpose and, and, you know, sometimes 
we treat the home group like a social club. And, uh, you know, that's not what necessarily what a home group meeting should be about. You know, if we're carrying on our own little inside jokes and our own little conversations over here, there might be a newcomer in here that doesn't need to hear that bullshit. They might need to hear that it doesn't matter what happens. You never have to fucking use again. Yeah. And I can remember when that happened for me. I can tell you the moment. I had 13 days clean. I can tell you where I was sitting. And there was a lady shared in the group that somebody had came in to her place of work and tried to trade their baby for money where she could go buy some more dope. And she said, I'm so grateful. I don't have to live like that today. And why I heard it, I don't know. I didn't have a baby. And if I had a baby, we would all retire because, you know, I'm not equipped to have one. But uh, it just, it resonated with me. It was like he poured ice water down my spine. It's like, she doesn't have to live that way. I don't either. Yeah. And I broke out in tears. And if they had been a bunch of side conversations and uh, people walking around, and I don't know if I'd heard it, you know. But I think, you know, tradition four also, I think, like you said, there's a, there's a wrench for every nut. Um, I think it's important that all the home groups are not, not the same. And one of the things that we tried to do, uh, was we modeled ourselves completely after survival group for a while, you know, when we joined that area and, um, <clears throat> which was good because we needed to, we we were trying to become an actual NA group. We were we'd just been playing NA and claiming to be NA for a long time, but um, so we kind of modeled ourselves after survival. And then after we got on our feet, we developed our own policy and we had our own format at our business meeting. And we were running our, you know, we had we were able to manage our funds and do all that. Uh, once we become a part of the service structure, then we started to make these little subtle changes that, you know, that, that fit us and, and kind of has made our group unique like the other groups. And, you know, I think, I think what you said is, is spot on. We, we need to, uh, we need to embrace being different as long as we're within the parameters of those other traditions. Oh, most definitely. I mean, you know, uh, I, I have friends that go to groups that when I go to their home group, visit them, you know, I don't necessarily like everything that goes on in there, you know, it honors the traditions and, and, and the, you know, their primary purpose and people get clean and stay clean there. But those meetings aren't for me, you know, uh, but they're for them, you know, um, a mutual friend that we know that's, that's in our sponsorship tree, you know, goes to the home group and, you know, I got clean in August and he got clean in January. We've done this thing together for 20 years almost, you know, and uh, not to call anybody out, but 
when you were talking about that, the this Living Clean book is pretty awesome. I want to read a paragraph here. It says, we balance autonomy with responsibility. When we keep our purpose in focus, our autonomy makes more sense. The responsible practice of autonomy helps us see our relationships and our obligations more clearly and to use our creativity and our imagination and our enthusiasm to help us fulfill our purpose and our groups in our lives and in our service to our higher power. I think that's just an awesome line. Well, that's, that's spot on. That's exactly, you know, we can talk about we were only practicing one tradition or whatever, but the main problem was is that our purpose was out of focus. You know, once we became more in tune with what our primary purpose is, our actual primary purpose is, you know, and we thought we were doing good things at times. Like, you know, we were sponsoring people to to throw birthday parties for their kids who didn't have the money and doing all You're that. Ready to step on some toes, buddy. Well, um, I don't, I don't <laughs> care about that. Okay. We'll let it rip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been well documented. Everybody knows about it, but yeah, we were just doing some things like that. We were spending NA funds on stuff that we had no business spending it on. And even though our hearts were in the right place, um, our traditions wasn't. Yeah. We yeah, and and our meeting started to suffer, and it led to animosity and resentment, and you know, like if you're gonna do it for one, how can you not do it for all? And it just got us way off whack. But once we all get back in tune with our primary purpose, then we're all we all have the same goal. There's less for us to argue about. It doesn't eliminate everything by no means, but you but- know. The cool thing about, you know, the, the traditions is that you learn with mistakes. Oh, absolutely. Just as the reading says. And that's, I want to, I want to put some swap gears with you and ask you two a question. So without the pain of that, the inventory that came behind the pain and the refocus on the traditions, would either one of you or your home group be as strong in recovery as you are today? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and there was a lot of pain with the change too, you know, because we had oh. one of the things that me and him didn't take into consideration was like we had a member that had been there since the beginning of the group, and their big fear was this is the way that we've always done it. And even if it's wrong, I'm afraid of what this place that saved my life is going to look like on the other side of all these changes that we're making. And we didn't have any empathy that, for that because we'd just been there for a little bit. We just listened to what our sponsors were telling yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. We go and tell our sponsors, <laughs> You're doing like, what? you can't fucking do that. You know? Uh, but, but it was, a it was good for all of us. It was a process for all of us. And, you know, of course, I took a lot of stuff and run with it. You know, as far as that, you know, chip key tags, I mean, I went berserk. <laughs> I did. I mean, uh, they asked me about my expectations of the group one night, and I, I let it out. And it was, it wasn't uh, spiritual. Uh, 
and it was most certainly not loving. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, and we'll get to the other side of those things, though, and can become more spiritual than loving. You know, uh, oh, that yeah. was my, I did some service with uh, early in my recovery. I went to the bathroom at a home group business meeting, and I came back, and I was the GSR when I had about 11 months clean. Uh, they voted, nominated and voted me in while I was in the back. And uh, I got to meet a really neat lady at the time. She had the most clean time of any female on the East Coast. Her name was Mona D. And uh, she had been around since the beginning. And uh, she talked about uh, chairs being thrown at meeting at, at business meetings and things. And uh, and we, we just shouted at each other. You know, I got clean when you could still smoke in a meeting. And... Uh, you should have seen some of the hell raising behind trying to take somebody's nicotine from them for an hour. Yeah, they I can only imagine. They, uh, an addict that you both know well went and picked up people to say they had the desire to start to stop using to vote for smoking. Yeah, I'll tell you that story after the podcast. <laughs> well, I've, uh, yeah, I've we've been heard. on that that whole thing with you know politicking to get rid of something. Or, oh, yeah. or something, you know, depending oh. on what it was. And, you know, uh, what I found out in, you know, the the six short years that I've been here, that if I just step back and uh, just play my part, you know, and accept it for what it is, the easier it is for me. Yeah. How I've had to simplify God's will in my life is, uh, you know, the – What's the best thing for everybody involved in any given situation? And that means sometimes I don't get exactly what I want, but I'll always get exactly what I need. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a, that's been a tough pill to swallow, but you know, sometimes it takes not being spiritual and, and feeling all the pain that comes with it that brings about, you know, uh, you know, you just handle things better and, I think a lot of us have done that. And what I had to do is just realize that I don't make the fucking decisions. I'm not the decision maker. You know, I, my ideas are no more important than anybody else's ideas and thoughts. And then when an idea gets put up there, you know, I, I I've tried to picture here lately that when I have an idea to present to the group or emotion or whatever, that I just place this idea up into God's hands and then the group decides, and then God's made his decision. Um, you know, I was thinking about that after making an ass out of myself here recently, and I've already talked about that on a couple episodes. I won't bring that story up again, but that's kind of what I thought about it. You know, from here on out, I'm just going to take the decision and put it in God's hands and, and forget about it. Because on the other side of that, making an ass out of myself, it worked out not only did it work out perfect, it worked out in our favor, you know? So I'll remind you the next time that that happens. Thank I'll you. I'll be sure and be but like, hey, it, you remember what you said? It's, <laughs> I'll say, come back in this room. <laughs> it is so hard, though. I mean, you know, this fellowship and this program saved my life, and I know it saved y'all's lives, and we're very passionate about this program. And, and, and you know, 
it's hard not to take ownership in an idea when you present it. You know, as early on in my recovery, I both know I love to cook. Well, I was the, the chair for all the activities at Survival Group. And by God, if they would decided to cook something I didn't want to cook, I just refused to cook. You know, there's a lot of spirituality in that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I got my way. I held them hostage. Oh, I you took know. my ball and went home a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I really have. But you know, the pain behind that is God's gift to us, right? Oh, no that, doubt. That, 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 you know, God allows us to feel pain behind our bad decisions to let us know we need to do something different. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for every ounce. I'm, I'm not at the time, but today I'm grateful for every ounce of pain I felt before I got here and after I got here, I wouldn't be the person I am today without it. You know, and I'm quite sure I'll screw something up next week and feel a little pain next week and get to change a little more. No doubt about it. Well, before we wrap it up, uh, this will be the part of the show where we ask you, uh, what your message is to the, to the newcomer. Um, you know, the person that's out there struggling, maybe listen to this, they're, trying to stay clean but can't and uh maybe they're trying to get clean you know what's your message that person and so you know four years before i got clean i had a friend that was clean and i would call him and uh talk to him about getting clean and coming to meetings and uh you know just didn't feel like i could do it uh I never felt like I fit in anywhere in this world, including my own blood family before I got to Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, you know, my life was consumed with the getting and using and finding ways and means to get more. But the only message I got is the message straight out of the basic text is an addict, any addict can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use drugs and find a new way to live. And if you don't think you can do that, come on, join us and prove me wrong. If you'll stay 365 days and follow the directions and you still want to get high after 365 days, I'll buy you first hit. All right, Shane. That sounds like a deal, don't it? Yeah. I mean, what about after a couple thousand days? Is that still a point? No. No. Okay. <laughs> all right thought we'd ask anyway well thank you so much shannon for coming on here and doing this man uh we appreciate it and love you brother all right love you too i'll holler to love. love you shannon all right we will be back next week with tradition five see y'all then. thank you for joining us on our living clean podcast this is another platform that we can share our message of recovery which is an addict any addict can stop using drugs lose a desire to use and find a new way to live join that no matter what club you can contact us through text the number is 931-306-9364